With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales. Again, wherever in the world you are, uh, we're here today with Rorani, and she's got a couple projects we're going to talk about. And I think it's really interesting from a, an entrepreneur standpoint. Rorani has a very, you know, interesting background. But you know, prior to that, uh, you know, let's let's literally talk about what we're seeing today. So right now, you know, Bitcoin's at twenty two thousand um, and slowly climbing off of you know those, those lows of of eighteen nineteen that it just hit. Um, we're seeing a lot of innovation in the market today. There's a lot less, uh, I'd say, VC investment going into the space currently today, and all the builders are heads down working. And I think Rowani is a, a fabulous, fabulous kind of example of that of putting her head down and really working through this bear market. And so with that, Rani, like, let's talk about a little bit about where you came from and, and what got you interested so much in the blockchain space. First of all, thank you, Jay, for inviting me to the podcast. I'm really excited to be here and to kind of share my story with you. Uh, so I'm a copyright lawyer. I'm an intellectual property lawyer, and uh, I uh, run a copyright management organization. We're kind of a unique uh, beast uh, we are generally non-for-profit. We aggregate the rights to uh, different kinds of work. In an access copyrights case, we aggregate the rights to traditionally published works, such as textbooks, trade books, newspapers, and magazines, and then we license those back out for the reuse. So you know, the reason why we, we are created is to deal with uh, situations where it would be difficult, if not impossible, for the rights holders to manage their rights. And at the heart of what we do is making sure that the creators get paid for their work. And about eight, seven years ago, we started looking at what the future of rights management uh, is going to be about. Uh, what are the new technologies that might change uh, the world of content monetization? And one of the things that we kept bumping uh, against or, or being mentioned constantly was blockchain. Blockchain was going to revolutionize how content gets monetized, how creators all of a sudden are going to be able to regain control over their works uh, in a way that they haven't been able to do so before. But I've been I've been uh, around this merry-go-round b- before. I, I was, uh, in fact, I was doing copyright policy in the Canadian government, Canadian federal government, back in the mid '90s. And at the time, we were uh, looking at uh, how the the internet was going to potentially impact the creative uh, sector. It was back in the days when we used to call it the information superhighway. You may remember that term being used about the internet. Uh, it was the early days of the internet. And there were a lot of very similar promises that we hear about blockchain being made back yeah. then. Uh, and, you know, with hindsight, we, we come to realize that some of these promises did materialize, but a lot of them, uh, what we ended up seeing is a very challenging environment for artists and for creators being able to monetize their work. There was massive piracy uh, in many, many situations, particularly in the music industry, for example. They exchanged, you know, analog dollars for digital pennies. Uh, and so the, the riches didn't really come 
to be. And so the question that uh, myself and my team kept asking ourselves is blockchain going to be the same thing uh, or is it truly going to be revolutionizing? Um, so back in 2015, 2016, we you know, had a deeper dive and looked at the uh, projects in the creative space that were uh, happening back then. And um, it was very hard to tell. Like Things were very early stage. It was like you know, a lot of window dressing. You couldn't really tell what was happening behind the, behind the scenes. Uh, so you know, we were left with kind of the big unknown. Is this really going to help? monetization and creators in the long run. So we decided that the best way to figure it out was to actually start playing around with the technology. So we sat in a room. Uh, there was about three of us at the time. We're like, okay, what does blockchain promise to make possible that today is not possible? And let's see if we could kind of build together a quick proof of concept uh, as a uh, research exercise to see uh, what would happen to see what we could learn from it. So the idea we came up with was the fan-to-fan sale of an ebook. So as, as you know, you look at the history, you know, Napster, which was the P2P fan-to-fan sharing of music, almost took down the music industry. So we thought, okay, blockchain is supposed to fix that. Let's flip it on its head and do fan-to-fan selling of an yeah. ebook. So we, uh, we you know, looked around in Toronto. We were able to find a, a uh, three... Uh, just out of university, um, programmers that were playing around with Solidity who uh, helped us put together a smart contract uh, and a very simple web interface so that you know, we could see what's happening around the smart contract, um, around the fan-to-fan sale of a ebook. So the, the use case that we were dealing with, you know, uh, for books, most books are purchased as a result of family and friend recommendations. So it's a very big engine for discovery and for uh, marketing of books. So we figured, okay, I, I know you, Jay, very well. I know what you like. I know what you are into. And I'm going to recommend a book to you. I send you the ebook. And based on this smart contract that's attached to this digital asset, you're able to read, let's say, two chapters of the ebook. And then after that, if you want to read on, you have to pay. And um, the smart contract would then then kind of trigger a redistribution of the royalties, X to the creator, Y to the publisher, the jacket cover artist. And because I stimulated the sale, the fan, I got a reward as well. Makes perfect sense. So that's the smart contract. Makes perfect sense, right? Today, it's so like, yeah, of course, that's what it should be all about. Um, It was not so obvious back in uh, 2017, the summer 2017, actually, when we put the proof of concept together. And, uh, you know, we did, we did the workflow on, you know, how would the digital asset would get attached to the smart contract and who would make sure that the digital asset gets attached and connected to the wallet of the rightful owner, that it's not a bad actor that, you know, gets in the middle of all of this. Um, and this is where uh, two things happen as a result of that proof of concept. The first thing is that, you know, Reading about something and listening about it's not the same thing as doing. And after having done it, work through the, the the proof of concept and build that early service, it was the penny dropped for me. I would totally drank the Kool Aid. That's when I became a blockchain believer. That's amazing. And uh, truly understanding how blockchain was going to revolutionize our digital interaction and how we interact with assets on. But the other thing that I also came to realize is that. 
unless the attribution is correct uh, right out of the gate, before an asset is attached to a smart contract or it's minted on an NFT, that what happens after that can't be trusted. And so, you know, we, you know, it's a well-known problem of junk in, junk out. And that's what we were seeing. And we looked at, you know, with that kind of aha, we went back to those um, projects, those early projects in the creative space and, you know, tried to see, so what are they doing about attribution? How do they make sure that the user who's uploading a work, who's, you know, starting to uh, mint the work at the time there was, we weren't minting at the yeah, time. <laughs> we were actually just that's early. doing other things back then. Um, how do they make sure that it is the rightful owner that is doing that? And what we saw then was the same thing that we see or that we saw with Web2, which is, you know, as long as the person clicks the I own the copyright box, there is like this blind trust that uh, that the person actually is entitled to do so and we'll deal with the problems after the fact, right? If somebody complains, then we'll figure out a way to take things down. But of course, with blockchain, it's not so simple to take things down. Like once the thing is out in the wild, uh, in the blockchain wild, it's really hard to take it back. And with the decentralized nature of blockchain and the anonymity of wallets, um, it's also difficult to know, you know, how to stop it and whose neck to check. Yeah. Uh, in order to stop this from happening. And what we came to realize is that, you know what, we're going to be looking back at the Napster era with like nostalgia, like that was easy (laughs) compared to what blockchain is going to create as a potential problem. Unless, unless the creative sector actually participate in the kind of the development, the architecture of this this new era of the internet. And that, that's what we were calling it back in 2016, 2017. Today we talk about it as Web3. Uh, and so unless we come and we are architects of Web3 and we deliberately aim to solve the attribution problem as we are solving for all kinds of other things in, in this er- these early days of Web3, we're going to be left with a really, really hairy problem that is going to be impossible to put the toothpaste back in the bottle. Um, and we're already seeing that. We're already seeing that. You know, there's can't remember what the percentage of OpenSea NFTs yeah. are actually parted uh, works, right? Bots just scraping the internet and trying to sell them to unsuspecting uh, buyers. Yeah, I mean, and you bring up some really great points here, and I want to I want to highlight a couple of these. Which is number one, we're still figuring this out. <laughs> You know, so, so seven in 17, as you said, you're like, oh my gosh, this is mature. It's, it's been around for a couple of years at this point, smart contracts, Ethereum. And, and, you know, it, it really showcases like just how early we still are today, because the concept that you just said makes perfect sense. Blockchain and smart contracts absolutely can solve these problems. And we've interviewed other, other uh, startups like Museworks, who's trying to do the same thing for theater, use a smart contract to distribute, uh, you know, to the rights holders and to the musicians and the actors. Um, and, and here you are trying to do it for, you know, literary reasons and others. And, and, I can tell you it's still not, it's just still not ready today. Um, and so the, the concept is how do we take the right way, which you clearly have, how do you take, this is the right way. It's fair. It's honest. It's open. It's transparent, but how do you get adoption? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, you know, it's that big chicken and egg, uh, challenge. So we set up to, we figured, you know, as a copyright management organization that ensures that exists to ensure the creators get paid, we thought this attribution problem is what 
we are we are well equipped and it's part of our mission to go out and solve. So we went out and said, okay, this is what we're going to solve. We're going to solve attribution. We're going to, we are going to be one of the people that lean in and deliberately try to solve attribution in this kind of new uh, ecosystem that is being developed. And so um, we that's what we set out to do. And in order to solve attribution, there, there are a few things that have to line up. But one of the key things is that you need to be able to connect the digital representation of a creative work or the creative work in its digital form with the creator or the rightful owner and metadata about the work. And if any one of these three things are disconnected, you need to be able to reconnect it. Okay. And so we started looking at various technologies in order to, one, look at how do you represent a digital work. So you've got a PDF, you've got a, uh, um, a JPEG, um, it could get altered, it's not the exact file. So using uh, fingerprinting technology, in order to be able to uh, fingerprint the work so that irrespective of the format it's now circulating in or if it's been altered, you could still connect the work. You could still connect it. And now with the attribution ledger, creating kind of a reference database, distributed database, but still a reference database for this work. This is the creator for this work. And this is some more information, metadata about the work. So it's that reference, that connection between the uh, asset, its fingerprint, the fingerprint of the asset, with the creator and other rights information, and uh, the metadata about the work. I, I was going to say, like, Roeddy, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. That, that's, it's, it just seems that's a huge task. I mean, it's laid out. You, and, again, clearly you understand the landscape. Clearly you understand the technology. Like, yeah. but people can just be horrible people and steal for the sake of stealing. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and blockchain, you know, still today gives a level of, of uh, anonymity. Um, and so, you know, hearing the fact there's someone already tacking, tackling these problems, um, which, which are, are very real. I mean, again, kudos to you. Yeah, well, you know, you, you say not only does blockchain provide this anonymity, one thing that blockchain does uh, that Web2 didn't do is that it allows kind of value exchange around the anonymity as well. And it's, it's, it's a double-sided coin. It's great if it's the, the, the actual creator that is, uh, you know, at the other end of the wallet, but it's terrible if it's a bad actor. And what we see with blockchain as, you know, the NFT situation is a good example, is that there is actually more incentive in the Web3 world for bad actors than there were in the Web 2 world. I mean, in Web 2, bad actors got, you know, ad dollars, eyeballs. They had to find a way to monetize eyeballs. In Web 3, monetization of an activity is actual, like, real money, fiat, you know, that can uh, be extracted very, very quickly, right? So you actually also have a lot more incentives for bad actors in Web 3, 3 than you do in Web 2. So getting this right is critical. Oh, no, I was going to say, and, and really, you know, again, just before you go too far past this point, I think you made some really good points. In Web, in web 1 and 2, there, there, had, there was known off-ramps for doing a transaction. So you, could, you, it, you may not know who the person is, but we can, we can tell PayPal you need to shut this down and here's why. We may not know what part of the world they're in, but we can, we can go out to, to Venmo or any of these other ones and, and say like you, Amex and say, hey, you, 
this is we have a lawsuit against this person. We don't know who they are, um, but this is this is illegal content being distributed. And at least you could shut down, you know, their ability to take take you know compensation. Which again, hopefully, then they just say, ah, screw it, I'll go do something else and and bother someone else versus doing this in in Web three because the the transmissions of data is also side by side with the transmissions of of currency and assets. Um, yeah, holy cow. <laughs> Like really, I want to make sure everyone understands the levels of differences here is like, you're right. Web two is an easy one compared to this. (laughs) Exactly. And if you speak to anybody that, you know, it's currently, I mean, it's not as if we solved the web two problem. Like we're, artists are still chasing pirates and monetization by, you know, people that shouldn't be monetizing their work. Uh, And it is not easy and it's very costly and it's an endless game of whack-a-mole. In web three, it's going to be worse but it is possible to imagine a future where it is better. It is actually possible to imagine it, but it's not going to come about easily. And so started doing this work back in uh, 2016, 2017. And um, now it was time to say, okay, you know, with this kind of aha moment, uh, there's this tick, two things was my aha moment. One, this blockchain thing is not going away. <laughs> It, it, it is a thing, it is here to stay, and it's going to revolutionize our interaction, number one. So you can't just close your eyes and pretend, you know, it's not happening. And number two, it is the promises of blockchain will not materialize for the creative sector, for the artists, unless we solve the attribution problem. And the attribution problem is not sexy thing to solve, right? <laughs> there's not a lot of, there's... Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And so, you know, unless we're deliberate and we lean in on this and we come to the table with, you know, proposals on how to solve this, uh, it's going to be worse off. So I went out and I started evangelizing. I've been at Access Copyright in my current job for over 20 years. Uh, I know a lot of people in the industry. We're part of an international community of copyright management organizations. And I went out and I started doing presentations about blockchain, what's coming down, the problem that we saw if we didn't actually, you know, try to participate and fix this right out of the gate. Um, And then COVID hit. I had like a world tour. I was going to Spain. I was going to Germany. I was going all over the world and all of these conferences and meetings to kind of talk about this and to build in like an industry consortium so that together we could fix uh, and lean in on the attribution problem. And then COVID hit. And of course, the world came apart and my life got complicated, just like everybody else's life got complicated. Um, And so what we ended up doing instead was we thought, you know, in any event, a lot of the a lot of my community, when I talk about this stuff, their eyes glaze over like they they haven't drank the Kool-Aid that I have drank. So it's very hard. They're still working on what one, like exactly. So it was really hard to bring them along. They all they all found the presentation special, fascinating, but it was hard to get them engaged to the next step. So we we figured, you know, let's show them. Let's show them how a properly designed Web three experience actually can solve the attribution problem. So we started kind of building just the minimum viable product of the attribution. We were calling it an attribution ledger. It's actually not a single ledger. It's more like an attribution protocol and uh, services that would use it. And one of these services that we built out was Imprimo. And Imprimo is, is a service for the visual arts sector. 
And what it does is that it um, connects uh, the artist with their artwork and metadata about their work. So exactly what the, the vision of, of creating those three prongs and connecting them, uh, and it leverages the blockchain in order to kind of do that and timestamp that connection as well. I love that. So, I mean, again, you, you're, you've got a lot going on here. So now let's circle back around. So the idea that is, is again, very simplistic. It's, there has to be a reason why someone wants to purchase this. So you have to have content that that's relevant. Um, and then you kind of move into, you know, managing this and, and making sure the signatures are, are correct. So when you talk about ownership online, <clears throat> um, and you and I have had this conversation uh, a few times, but I want to, for anyone who's, who's listening to understand it, talk about, you know, the, the contracts behind these assets and, and why that is one of the most important things you can do. Because you changed my mind on this a long time ago. That's kind of separate about, it's separate from Imprimo per se in terms of what it does. We're actually, you know, I call Imprimo Web 2.5 uh, in the sense that it's not a full-fledged Web 3 uh, offering. Uh, for a couple of things. So first, let, let me say a few things about Imprimo, and then we could circle back to your to your comment if you want to talk about kind of NFTs and other things as well. So what Imprimo does is that it's a, it for the artist, it's like a Web two service. Okay, so it's uh, not 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 uh, at all intimidating in in any way, right? The Web three elements are not perceptible, not not they they cannot perceive them. They're really kind of hidden to the artist. So um, it's it's a portfolio management tool behind the scene, so they could manage their portfolio. It's a place for them to track their artwork and manage their portfolio, and in front, like the though the. What's available to the world uh, to view is a LinkedIn for visual artists. So behind the scenes, they're managing their portfolio, and it gets spit spit out in front. Uh, their their digital presence, if you like, is a LinkedIn for visual artists. There's a profile of themselves as an artist, their journey as an artist. There is a CV with um, various media uh, assets attached to all the CV events. Maybe if it's a solo exhibit, there could be a video of the exhibit, there could be images of the exhibit, there could be a poster for the exhibit, and their portfolio is there as well that can be discovered. Okay, so it's a LinkedIn for visual artists, artists, which doesn't really exist now. A lot of visual artists, uh, LinkedIn, the usual, the, the real LinkedIn doesn't really work very well with, for them. Um, a lot of them use Instagram, but all even that is not organized, doesn't allow them to organize their presence and their artwork and their journey that way. Every work that is presented or published by the artist on Imprimo has its own work record. And that work record includes the timeline, so they could they could uh, attach to the work the timeline of the work. When was it created? Where was it exhibited? There is also a place for them to uh, attach the creation process of the artwork, so they could talk about the artwork. They could include images or video of them creating the artwork as well, so it helps elevate provenance. And then they make a claim to the artwork. So first of all, every artist on the platform has their ID verified. So there are no bots here. So we KYC everyone on the platform. That's huge. Huge. We know who they are, number one. Number two, we give them cryptographic uh, keys. Okay, now 
It's very difficult for an artist to manage a cryptographic key, so we manage it for them. We tell them what it is. They have their private keys. We tell them what not to do with their private keys. We repeat it very often. Uh, but we manage the... Uh, so we are the custody of the keys. In Primo is the custody of the keys. And then when they publish a work, their claim to the work, their authorship, when they created it, metadata about the work, they sign with their keys. Perfect. That was, that was my question. And that... Exactly. And that kind of package of information, data, is is registered on blockchain, is timestamped on blockchain. I, I love it. And so to wrap it up into a, a kind of a single sentence, this is verified storytelling. So you're, you're asking these artists uh, to not just publish their work, but to give the added value of their story, which you're, which you're verifying, validating, and securing in, in, through Imprimo. And the, the, the end result is that if someone likes their story, that's going to give them more interest in that artist, which then, which then they know that the money's going to that artist. So it, it creates, it, it, it's, it's really amazing, uh, Rani. So you're, humani- you're humanizing, um, you know, art. Absolutely. And we're creating a digital destination for people to go and explore and discover art and artists to connect with art and artists. And as we're, you know, right now we've just launched, we launched in March of this year. Uh, it's like our minimum lovable product. We have a very, uh, you know, detailed and long and interesting roadmap. Our goal is to, uh, coordinate, be, be a market coordinator for the visual art marketplace. It is a very, very fragmented marketplace. And like LinkedIn coordinates employees with employers and employees with each other, Imprimo has that aim as well. So we've started working with galleries in order to have galleries have a presence on Imprimo as well. So the same way artists have a profile on Imprimo, Galleries would have a profile on Imprimo as well. And then galleries can connect the works that they're exhibiting at their gallery, whether it's an in-real-life gallery or, or a digital gallery, to the artwork record on Imprimo and the artist on Imprimo. If it's an in-real-life uh, gallery, and that is kind of available right now, uh, for every claim that is, sorry, for every artwork that is published and a claim has been made, a QR code gets generated that the artist can use to put behind their artwork or to affix next to the artwork when it's being exhibited. So an art lover who sees an artwork in a gallery, in real life gallery, can just put their phone to the QR code and be taken to the artwork record on Imprimo, learn more about the story of the artwork, the creation process, and discover more from the artist as well. So we're, we're now starting from that initial um, point of saying, okay, we need to find a way to tell the world who's created what in a transparent, audible way to, okay, we have to say this. Yes, that's important, but nobody's going to do it unless there's an immediate value to them for doing it, right? Because it's a lot of work creating a profile on Imprimo. Like, just recall how hard it was to create your LinkedIn profile. This is actually harder because you have to upload media assets to document your journey as an artwork, as an artist, and your artwork as well. So it's actually more effort to create your profile. You want to have real value there, an immediate value. So that that's kind of what's exciting as well about Imprimo. First is that you don't need to be a crypto nerd to start using Imprimo. You don't need a wallet. You know. 
just like it's huge, right? So the onboarding, there's no onboarding challenge, number one. Um, and number two, there is an immediate use case. It's not a future use case and not it's not when we're going to see the adoption with crypto that we'll be able to generate the value of the use case. The use case exists today for a problem that has existed forever uh, and, and uh, for an activity that happens today in real life and online as well. So with this, I, it sounds to me, and again, I'm, I'm really summarizing, it's a combination of LinkedIn and Etsy, you know, because you've, you've got, again, the, the flair of here's my store, here's what I have to sell, you know, which is, again, that that immediate, like, you know, I like this artist, let me do something with versus, you know, most of the time it's like, oh, I, I can't, I can't do commerce here. So it's a really interesting way to look at this. Um, what, what's been the feedback? Because again, you launched in March. It's it's uh, right now the end of July. So what's been kind of the initial feedback you've heard from the artists? Yeah, the artists love it. First of all, you know, the user experience had to be really like nailed down. The artists, the, some are great with technology and some are not good at all with technology, right? So it had to be seamless, the experience of creating their profile. Uh, some artists have told us this is amazing. I can now abandon my website. This is like better than my website. It's easier to manage. It's easier to maintain. And there's going to be more traffic, right? Because you've got your website and you've got to bring the eyeballs to your website by having a destination where people are going to be experiencing not just your art, but everybody's art. It allows for cross discovery as well to happen. So the feedback has been, uh, has been fantastic. Now Imprimo itself is not the marketplace, right? So the marketplaces are still happening outside of Imprimo. So the gallery, that's where the marketplace is the online uh, art uh, marketplace as well. The, the goal is to connect to those marketplaces so that the data, the trusted data, where the, um, the, the, the artists have been verified and claims have been made and timestamped, that trusted data is available across the visual art marketplaces. That's awesome. And, and so, you know, again, providing, providing these is not easy. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit of the, the tech behind this. So what are you guys using to make it happen? Cause you're combining some, some web, uh, two with some web three. Um, so are you, are you on Ethereum? What, what kind of chain are you using and, and, you know, delivering the media assets? Um, you know, I, I <laughs> some people still use Amazon S3 and some are using on chain, um, storage. So. So, uh, we're not using on chain storage, not yet at least. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, it's what it's a tech stack you would see in a web 2.0 service. Uh, the difference being that the claims are registered on blockchain. Now, initially we were working with Ethereum. That's where we started, but it was just too costly to operate that way. And we didn't think that our artists would be able to afford registering their claims on, on uh, Ethereum. So we actually are using Bitcoin. Oh. Fabulous. Interestingly enough. Yeah. So we're using open timestamp uh, in order to register to Bitcoin. And uh, the process of registering on Bitcoin is actually free. So we're able to offer this service to our artists for, you know, nine bucks a month. And they could register as many claims, as many artwork as, you know, they wish. And it doesn't need to go up. 
because the registration is free through open timestamps. That's amazing. I know. I, I absolutely love that, that concept and idea. Um, what, how did you decide on Bitcoin? You, obviously, Ethereum has its challenges and you know, they, if they don't fix the gas problem soon, there's a lot of projects that are like yours that all start with Ethereum and then they run into, you know, I, I, I can't afford you know, 50 to 150 to two to $300 per transaction. Like there's not that it's already hard enough to deal with this in the first place. The cost is not something I'm, I'm interested in. Um, but yeah, how, how did that thought process go? So like, as you know, we started a few years ago. And so there are, there are a lot of other options today that maybe we would have considered. Um, but, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were using a chain that would be around. So that's why, you know, some, something that, you know, people are comfortable with or know, know about. Um, and and um, so that was part of the uh, consideration. Scalability was part of the consideration as well. And the, the, the beauty is really about the open timestamp more so than, than Bitcoin. And, and that's what has allowed it to be cheap and scalable is the open timestamp um, protocol for registering. It just as time, we're not doing smart contracts, as I, I said at one point, we're just timestamping yeah. claims. Which, which is, again, you're, you're, you're a lawyer. You know how important that is to, to have out there. So it's, it's still, you know, very much a, a real world asset. These are, you know, real world issues. Um, talk, throw me through, is there a, been like one or two good success stories that you've had so far of, of artists that have gotten into it and, and seen an increase, uh, in sales? It, it's still early days. And, uh, we've got some artists that are very, super active on Imprimo. Uh, and we're still starting now we're working with the galleries in order to use Imprimo as a way to market your work. Right. Uh, so that's something that we're, we're working through. Let's talk about just some overall general <clears throat> things that you're seeing in this in this world. And I, copyright, if, jumping back to kind of your 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 foundation, you know, 25 years in in dealing with copyright, Web three presents a lot of very interesting problems. Um, there's clearly ways to solve some of those uh, over time, but the idea of you know stolen artwork. Uh, making its way on chain, making its way, you know, in, into open season to trading is, is you know, not going to slow down. It's going to speed up. What what do you feel? And this is, again, feeling, you know, what do you feel are some of the bigger, bigger barriers that are stopping, you know, these copyright issues from happening, you know, on, on Spotify and everything else, there's takedown requests and they can, they can absolutely take, take something down. But as you stated earlier, once it's on chain, it's on chain and it's not coming down. How, um, you know, and, and no chain has the power to to overwrite something. So it's kind of you'd have to have the original user take it down. What are, what are your, your kind of thoughts and visions over the next few years for how this is going to get resolved? So one education is absolutely key. And I think this, uh, you know, the, the buyers of these, let's call it the deal with just NFTs and pirated NFTs. They have no interest in buying a pirated NFT. They think they're actually buying the uh, uh, the real deal, right? Uh, but they're not educated in understanding what's actually happening behind the scenes and how might they verify to make sure that they're not being scammed. So not only does is the artist being scammed, right, but the buyer is also being scammed. Uh, it was less so in Web 2, right? Web 2, like the users kind of knew something fishy was happening, but they were happy to get something for free because that's what that was the model of Web 2, right? It was about free, <laughs> free information, free content, etc. But in Web 3, we're, we're changing that, uh, that, that paradigm, which is, which is good. 
Um, and, 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 and so the users, the, the buyers of these NFTs are not sufficiently educated uh, either. Um, that's one element. The other element is that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is that people are buying when they buy an NFT um, as well. And so there is, you know, you know, do you buy the the rights to the uh, IP that are you know underlying the work? Um, do you do you are you allowed to do something else with it? Is, is it a license? What does the license involve? Um, and so and there's a lot of misrepresentation that happens. You know, people just glossing over what is actually um, the contract. Uh, and 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 even when you are educated and you want to find out, like I. You know, want to know exactly what is the license that's coming along with this NFT? It's very hard to find it. It's very hard to find the information. Yeah, and I think that's a point that most people, when they're buying, you know, NFTs, and we're we're shifting a little bit into NFT land here. Um, when when you buy an NFT, people have this expectation of I own this. This is mine. I can do whatever I want. I can make a cartoon show with it. I can put it on billboards. Like I own this thing. Look at me. That's why I'm on chain. And that's just not the reality. Um, unless it explicitly states, you know, what your what your license term is, it still goes back to the contract owner um, that and that owns that content. Correct. It still goes back to the contract owner. So the, what do you the mean? person that originally put the artwork up. So yeah, maybe. Okay. Maybe we oh, don't okay. know that. Right? Uh, we, have, we don't even know that, right? That, that's the attribution you problem. You would, you would think so, but you don't know that. Someone, that person, the original contract, uh, the, the first contract wallet that minted the work, you don't know if they were entitled to mint the work. You have no idea. And sometimes even the, the artist who created the work believes that they're entitled to mint the work, but they're not <laughs> because they perhaps created the work with a co-creator or perhaps they had already assigned their rights to the work to a producer, to somebody else, right? You know, it, it's becoming so much clearer as we talk about these other issues, why you've built in Primo and why you go through those, the, all those rigorous steps. You do want it to be a challenge, not, not hard, but you want somebody to put in a, a little bit of effort. Otherwise, it's, it is the bots, it is the scammers, and you know, there's a lot of other places they can go scam people. And so I think it's really great that you've, you're creating a, essentially a walled garden um, for your content creators to have validated and verified usage of their works. Um, is there, is it art? Is it books? What, you know, what, what are the types of content that you guys are, are, uh, facilitating right now? So in Primo is about, uh, visual art. Um, we're looking at photographs as well. Uh, and eventually we'll go to video too. We started off with visual arts because we created, uh, in Primo with, um, with, the visual arts associations in Canada. So they are our partners in the, in the project. They are also members of access copyright. So the, uh, CARFAC and RAV are the two visual arts associations in Canada. We interviewed, we spent hundreds of hours interviewing their members, the visual artists to understand what their pain points are and what their needs are. So this idea of solving the attribution problem, it needed to be part of a service that had value in and of itself, right? Because right now, nobody just wants to solve attribution. 
Like if there's something, if there's another, so what, that's interesting to them, then they'll do it. But just solving attribution, it's like nobody seems to be uh, wanting to do that. But we all recognize that, you know, with time, if we do not solve attribution in this Web3 environment, we're going to have an absolute mess on our hands. And, and, and I'm going to give you a lot of kudos because what you're building is very hard to do. What you're doing is very detailed and requires, again, you're, you're not just saying, hey, we want to put digital content online. You're saying, I want to legally and ethically put digital content online. And those are two huge different words. And I use in, in, in my pitch check all the time, there's a slide and it, I talk about time about, a, there's technology-driven projects. And Napster would be a technology-driven project, meaning that it had no legal foundation. It proved, though, that people were interested in digital music and and peer-to-peer exchanges of of files, but they did it all legally. And no matter what people said, oh, I bought the CD. Oh, I, you know, this is mine. You know, I, I did a remix on it. It didn't matter at the end of the day. They were violating copyright in a massive way. And, and you know, Metallica led the way with like the lawsuits and then it just one after the other and, and kind of destroyed it. Now, on the other side is technology-driven companies versus projects. And a technology-driven company is going to start with a legal foundation, which is what you've done. And then they're going to legally acquire or facilitate that art. So the Spotify's, the Pandora's, the Apple Music's. And so while it's a much larger lift, we can absolutely see the parity of where Napster is today compared to Spotify, Pandora, and Apple Music, which are absolutely, you know, just they're, they're serving hundreds of billions of, of views, you know, a month. And that that's massive. So I and completely understand and and really give you a, a round of applause for doing the hard work um, and and encouraging your artists to also do the hard work because if we can popularize in Primo, if we can say this is the correct way to do it, it solves a lot of those problems and, and will keep people off of the the pirate bays and and kind of the, the shadier sites. Exactly. And, and, and it always has to do with, to me, piracy in, in the early days was just about availability. Like if I want to see it, and the only place I can get it is to pirate it, then that's what's going to happen. And so the fact that you, you're coming around and saying, no, we're going to give you a legal avenue, it's a much larger lift, but but it has huge and long legs in the, in the long, long run here. Right. So Imprimo was a use case for the attribution uh, solution, the attribution protocol. Uh, so we are focused on building out Imprimo because you know, the 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 service in which attribution or solving attribution is embedded is in and of itself interesting and attracting a lot of attention and has a huge potential. But we're also wanting to build out this this methodology and approach, uh, this protocol on attribution to build it out across all content type, right? And to have a, a, um, a systematic way for digital service providers who want to do the right thing whether it's in Web 2 or Web 3, that they have a place where they could go and check to make sure that the content that is being uploaded and used on their service is, in fact, being uploaded by the rightful owner. And that's what, you know, the big Herodacious goal, goal of the attribution protocol is all about. And what we have with Imprimo is kind of that really critical first step. Let's, it is possible to do this. We will not solve all of the rights information for all the content types out of the gate. But as we go through this, as we learn, as we experiment, we're going to find what is the right kind of protocol to deal with that attribution and how do we embed that 
in Web3 services? How does that become the norm? So that when you have a Web3 smart contract, for example, where a digital asset is connected to a smart contract that's going to monetize that digital asset, that that smart contract checks against the attribution protocol to make sure that it was actually uploaded by the right wallet. The wallet who identified themselves and made the claim to the digital asset that is the creative work. No, and that's huge. Um, how do you explain this to people? <laughs> who it, it, and, and, and so, like, I understand every single thing you're saying, and and I completely understand that the the where you're going. But as you said, most artists, you know, not and again, I, I whoever's listening to this, don't take offense. Most people in general barely understand how internet one works, let alone internet two in a SaaS model. And then you get into to blockchain and, and everything that's happening there. What, what's kind of the easiest way to explain to someone, you know, why this is as difficult as it is? So that, that's a good question. Me explaining it to someone usually takes at least 20 minutes and closer to an hour to, uh, for them to so actually it is that hard kind to explain. of you know, get it, get it, right, exactly. Then the question is, do I need to explain it to everybody? I don't, right? You don't need to understand how the internet works to use the internet. So you don't need to understand it. What we do need to have is bring together some like-minded people who are uh, wanting to solve this problem so that we could, we actually tackle it in a systematic way. They will solve it, and then others will just use the solution uh and, and you know, the ideal stage, we know Web3, we're no longer calling it Web3, it's just the internet. When nobody's even asking, like, it's just, it's, you know, part of the fabric of how these protocols or these services that use creative assets um, are structured. And if they're not structured, they, they know that they're going to have infringing content on their services. That's awesome. No, and that is really, you know, again, it's either, either find something that works, but doing nothing isn't going to solve the problem. And, and so I, again, a very elegant solution with Imprimo, very, you know, again, a lot of history with access copyright. Um, so, so it's a really, you know, again, I, I can't applaud you more for more of like finding your niche, Thank hanging you. in, hanging in there and now trying to spread, spread that, that, that ability to help, um, others protect their work because at the end of the day, you know, artists put a lot of time and energy and blood, sweat and tears into what they do. Um, and it just takes a second to put it up on the wrong site to have your content stolen and redistributed, you know, to the point where it, you know, we see every time, every day there's artwork that goes viral online. Like it will go from no one has seen this to millions and millions and millions of views with no, you know, attribution, no, you know, notice or, or link back to, to the original artist. Um, and, and it's a challenge. And so I really, like I said, I, I just applaud you for tackling this problem. Um, and I think there's clearly a long way to go to go to, to get, to get, you know, mainstream adoption, but, but you're there today and you're, you're building a foundation. And I, I invite anybody who's interested, uh, in, in solving this, this problem to, to reach out to us, anybody who has experience in this space, who, uh, are working in the creative space, who, uh, want to make sure that web three is better than web two for the creative sector, uh, to reach out to, to us, because it will, it will take a lot of people to actually take what we've learned with Imprimo and turn it into a practice, a system and practice that becomes the norm for Web3. So I guess that's my, my last question on this, is, is how connected are Access Copyright and Imprimo? Because clearly someone that's about to, to go through their work, they, they do need some legal help to make sure that it's properly registered and everything else. Do you guys work uh, relatively closely or do you keep the two businesses separated? 
So they're, they're separate. So Imprima was created by Prescient Innovation, which is an innovation lab that that is wholly owned by Access Copyright, but it is a separate entity. It's um, uh, in, uh, Prescient Innovation is a for-profit uh, innovation lab, whereas Access Copyright is a not-for-profit. And so we welcome the opportunities to, to partner uh, through Prescient Innovations. Uh, to in order to build out Imprimo further to uh, and to look at and solve the attribution problems. Yeah, love it. So, Randy, I mean, again, Imprimo is is a huge project, a massive lift, and and honestly, I love hearing about the your background with Access Copyright because it takes that experience that you have, and here's the actual legal way to do mm-hmm. things, and and then puts is allowing people to on chain to gain that that experience level and and interact in a really kind of meaningful way. And I, I love the, the kind of comparison you have with LinkedIn, but for, for artists, because they're two different things. So doing business and having clout, having understanding and having followings is massive. And, you know, the problem with Web2 that you have, you know, it's great that you have, you know, a, a million, two million, five million Instagram followers. What do you actually get for that? You get nothing. You get a lot of likes and shares and views and, and pats on the back, but there's no real easy way to monetize that. So having this kind of culture, uh, again, congrats. I'm super excited. Because of that, and because you've been in the space so long, um, what have you seen, you know, kind of recently outside of your own projects that just had you kind of interested or excited uh, for, for the way someone else is looking at the space? So there are, there are a lot of new uh, startups emerging in the uh, in kind of the tech space world uh, that are really interesting and experimenting with blockchain uh, in really novel ways. There's this one uh, startup called Paragraph. I think it's XYZ, but I'm not absolutely sure on that one. And what they allow you to do is it's like a subsac, but uh, for Web3. So instead of having subscribers, you have members. And you token gate access to your content. Uh, And through that, through the ability of creating membership, first of all, you connect directly with your own, with your audience. uh, And you're able to provide, to have community engagement. You can really accelerate your growth and monetization because now you have members that have a vested interest in the success of your, your reading or your writing platform. Um, and it, it's good for short, short form, but also long form as well. So, uh, they, they're, they're, it, you can start using it today. I imagine adoption is not huge because it is Web3 and you need to have a crypto wallet, etc. But the model is really, really super interesting. So, you know, you own your members now, you own your re- own, quote unquote, own, you have direct connection to your readers you could airdrop things to them you've got you know their wallets and and you could you know really uh and they can vote on what you work on next so they could uh collaborate with you so it's i thought that was a really interesting uh project to uh to have like writers who are trying to experiment with with web3 and community engagement and ownership in a way that's just not possible with just subscribers. Yeah, I, listen, I absolutely, token gating is going to be like next year's big thing. You know, that it's it's NFTs as kind of a, you know, hey, uh, there's 10,000 of these things and they're rare because I say it, um, is, is going to be like, that's cute. Um, but, but having the ability for these NFTs and, and other works of art or anything on chain to be, to validate access and utility, um, 
now we have real world usage. Now people understand, well, I, I want to watch that show. I want to, I want to read this, this book. I want to have access to these things. Um, and it's not a, it's not a pay. It's just, you have to be a member. You have to have something there. And I, I love, I love that concept. Um, circling back around to, you know, in Primo or, 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 and access copyright. Um, how do you want people to interact with you? How can, if they're interested, they want to reach out, they have copyright issues, they want to chat with you there or B, they want to create their profile. What's the best ways? They should just email me at uh, rlevy at accesscopyright.ca. So super easy. Uh, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, and I'd love to hear from them. Fabulous. And and Imprimo is, uh, is it, let's see. So Imprimo, to visit Imprimo, it's imprimo.ca. Because you're, you're up in Canada. Yeah. Hey. We're Canadian. Fabulous, yes. fabulous. Listen, this is the international <laughs> show. Um, Randy, I have to say, absolutely fabulous vision um, and really amazing execution. I think that's the biggest thing is generally, you know, when we talk to some some early stage startups uh, like yourselves, they have one one of two things, you know, down. It's either, either they've got a really good business plan, uh, but they haven't executed yet or well, or vice versa. They have an amazing, you know, kind of like concept and, and here it is and it's getting tons of usage and you're like, you do know you you made a security and you're not managing it as a security and and you know eventually someone's going to come knocking on your door and they're like ah you'd be fine you you've done both and so I really have to give a, a lot of credit that you know this is what's really getting exciting to me about Web three is suddenly the business professionals are starting to show up and the business professionals have a much clearer use case and vision for how this technology can be used legally, ethically, and morally, uh, compared to those that are still playing around with the, with the Napster type technology of like what works, what doesn't work. And there's, you know, you got to try stuff, you got to break stuff. Um, but having a long-term viable company means you've got a legal foundation to start with. And I think you've done a great thing by helping to try to protect, uh, the artwork of, of so many artists, which is clearly your passion and, and, uh, life, you know, life's work. Thank you. Fabulous. And thank you again for inviting me on the podcast. Any days, any days. Uh, Why Wills, we'll catch you later. Randy, don't hit any buttons. We'll, we'll see you here in a second. And uh, for everyone else, this was In Primo, Access Copyright with uh, Randy Levy. Thank you so much. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.